into the Gospel of Luke once again, Luke 18, verses 1 through 8, as we consider, continue on in our, our series focusing on prayer. And as you turn to Luke 18 this morning, uh, our passage has taught me something that has profoundly affected the way that I understand how Jesus uses prayer to change us. Are you ready for this? Uh, what you pray for consistently teaches you what to look for regularly in your life. And here's what I mean. If you pray for money, you will look for money. If you pray for love, you will look for love. If you pray for peace, you will look for peace. Uh, because what we are doing in prayer is saying, these things, this thing, these are important to me, and so I'm going to take them to Jesus, and I'm going to ask him to do something about them. And then I'm going to look to see if he, in fact, does anything about them. Uh, now, you, that might not sound like a powerful, profound idea. You're maybe thinking, like, yeah, Matt, like, why would I pray regularly for things that aren't important to me? Uh, and I get that. And when I first had this thought while studying this text, I had to pray to Jesus and ask, like, Lord, like, why is that particular thought important? Why is it arising from this text? And as I prayed about it and thought about it and wrote about it and prayed about it and studied and prayed, uh, I realized it was because that the Lord wanted me to see that the relationship between praying regularly for something and looking regularly for something is a transformative cycle. What we pray for regularly shapes what we look for regularly in our relationship to God and in our relationship to others. It shapes how we view God's character. And it obviously shapes what we want from God in the long term and what we want others to receive from God in the long term. And that in turn forms our prayers and it creates this cycle. And over time, that cycle helps form our hearts. It shapes what is important to us. It teaches us what we should care about, what we should value, what we should love. And in fact, I think it even teaches us what love looks like and how to show it to other people. And I can give you two examples of how important this relationship is. So when I was in high school or middle school, I don't remember exactly which, uh, I was cycling through the TV channels and kids, this is before everything was on demand, so you just had to watch whatever was on TV. Uh, at the time, you had no choices, so you can be thankful the Lord has delivered us from these dark ages. Uh, and and, and I was, as I was cycling through, I got to some of those you know, so-called Christians channels like CBN or TBN. And there's this man talking about prayer and faith. And I remember this very clearly. There was a skyline behind him of some city, and he said, and this is almost verbatim, I just, it just stuck in my head. He says, do you see these buildings behind me? They make me so excited. Do you know why? Because they show what faith can do. Because by faith, all this wealth was prayed down from heaven. And here you see it before you. And this is the kind of wealth that God has promised us if we just keep praying this poor man had spent much of his life, I'm going to guess years and years, praying for money and wealth. And so that formed his vision of the world. He just looked for money and wealth in the world, in his life, in the lives of other people. And so he kept praying for money and wealth and looking for money and wealth. And that shaped his heart so that he loved money in a way that I think we can all recognize as greed. 
hiding behind the name of Jesus. What you pray for regularly is what you will look for regularly, and that will form your heart. That's my negative example. My positive example is from last week's sermon, where if you remember, we heard Jesus call us in Luke chapter 17 to pray regular prayers of thanksgiving, because as we do so, we learn to see what or who God and his goodness and his good presence in our lives, not just individually and occasionally, but together and regularly. And that creates this kind of transformative, sanctifying, virtuous cycle, doesn't it? As, as I thank God for his goodness, as I learn to look for his goodness regularly in my life, I learn to see his good presence. And so I thank him more, and then I learn to see him more, and I thank him more in prayer. And it's this transformative cycle of humility and joy and love for God. And as I said, that particular insight, which informed that sermon last Sunday, comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, where Jesus calls us to pray persistently with unyielding hope for a very particular thing, justice. And as we'll see, Jesus calls us to persistently pray for justice without losing heart, so that we, his people, his elect, as he'll call us in our passage, so that we will be shaped in a very particular way, not by greed, but by a vision of redemptive love that seeks the flourishing, the full life of our neighbors. As we'll see, this is a prayer that helps us become a people who desire and learn how to and want to love our neighbors as ourselves. The outline of our meditation is on the wall. Uh, let's read our passage, pray, and then we'll reflect more on this. Luke 18, starting in verse 1. Uh, and Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Thus far the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your uh, incredible mercy in giving to us your word, which encourages us to pray, and which teaches us the way that you use prayer to affect our hearts and to shape us. And Lord, we want to be a people who are shaped uh, by your concept of, of justice and who desire to love our neighbors. But Lord, we know that this will not occur unless your spirit blesses the word to us. And so Father, we pray now that your spirit would give us ears to hear minds to understand and 
hearts to uh, believe your word. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher, and may the meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word, may it all now be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as a preacher, this passage is great because it's just super clear what it's about. Uh, Luke just tells us in verse 1 that this story, uh, and by the way, the word parable is just the Greek word for story. Uh, so whenever you see the word parable, you can just say story. And Luke says that this story was told by Jesus so that we would always pray and not lose heart. In kids, lose heart means to give up hope. But even more specifically, we can see that Jesus told us this story so that we would always pray with hope for justice. Justice is the thing the widow wants. Justice is the thing the judge is denying her. And justice is what Jesus tells us God will give his people when we pray for it. So that should make us ask, okay, so what, what is justice? That's a big question. It's a super important question. It's a question that I think the Bible answers with powerful clarity and very helpful guidance. Uh, but obviously we don't have time this morning to explore the vastness of justice in the Bible. So let me just kind of give you a 10,000 foot overview so we can understand why this is so important that Jesus singles it out as something we all need to pray about regularly and maintain in our prayer life with hope day in and day out. And let's start by noting that for us, the word justice is usually a negative term. When we hear justice, we think of prison, jail, and punishment. And that image of justice, that's, that's in the Bible. But it's definitely not the most common image in the Bible. Uh, the most common image of justice in the Bible is of a peaceful, flourishing life together. And you can see this especially in the prophets, which are the books of the Bible that arguably talk the most about justice. And a very helpful example of this is in the prophet Micah. In Micah chapter 4, Micah is thinking about what the kingdom of the Messiah is going to be like. And he says that the kingdom of the Messiah, that Jesus' kingdom, will be one of perfect justice. Because Jesus will be the judge who justly decides disputes among neighbors. And that means that everyone goes to jail and is dead. No, that's not what that means. Because Jesus is this just judge who is perfectly deciding all disputes between everyone, the image, uh, because that's the way that uh, the, the kingdom of the Messiah runs, that means that there will be no more war. There will be no more tanks. There will be no more swords. There will be no more prisons. There'll be no more homelessness. There'll be no more debt slavery. Instead, and here's the money quote, everyone will sit under his vine and under his fig tree. That's Micah 4 verse 4. Everyone. The image of everyone sitting under his vine and fig tree is the equivalent of us saying he had a house, a wife, two kids, and a dog. It's the image of a perfectly fulfilling, middle-class, joyful, joy-giving life. It's a life where you have enough for yourself and you have enough for others. It's a life where you have work to do that is valuable to the community and valued by the community. It's a life where you are at peace with your neighbors. And it's a life where there is safety for you and for your family. 
And at this point, maybe it's helpful to say this as well. The word for justice and the word for righteousness are the same word. Dikaio'o, dikaiosune, to do justice and to do righteousness are the same. So you could think of justice being the actions that create a life of righteousness, peace, love, fulfillment. See, for God, that is what justice is. It's a society and a community where a fulfilled, peaceful, safe life together is enjoyed by everyone. See, in other words, justice is not simply actions that we take to right wrongs, though it is that. It's also a goal for human flourishing. This is the goal of the Messiah's kingdom, is a state of justice, a state of righteousness. And we don't have time, of course, but if you were to look at the laws in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers, you would see that when God talks about doing justice, to use Micah's own words in Micah 6, verse 8, he's thinking about how to promote, how to preserve, and how to restore this kind of life among his people. You see that in the laws about the widow and the poor and the immigrant and the refugee, people who are not safe, people who are vulnerable. God calls on his people to give them justice, which in the Old Testament meant that they were not only to be fed and clothed, but also incorporated into society in profoundly amazing ways that actually reopened the fullness of communal life to them through things like marriage and employment and adoption and all sorts of different concepts that, again, I can't go into for the sake of time today. But in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, justice is aimed at restoring people who are no longer able to experiencing a flourishing life to a flourishing life, to enter into a state of righteousness together. And not just that, even when we think about justice as a response to terrible sins, like murder and stealing and those kinds of things, uh, you will see the way that God calls Israel to enact justice limits both the response of anger on the part of the harmed, so an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that is not the goal of justice. You're right. You should take his eye out for him taking your eye out. That's the limitation of justice. You can do no more to them retributively than they did to you offensively. It's a floor law, not a ceiling law. So these laws not only protect the kind of response but they are also aimed at creating opportunities for repentance and reconciliation. It's not about driving people out of Israel, but figuring out a way to restore them through righteousness into a relationship of love. Because for God, justice is not primarily about retribution and killing. It's about restoration and life. And I say that because it's important to understand that for God, even negative justice, so justice as punishment, is aimed at life, beloved. And I hope we all believe that because it's the basis of the good news we have faith in. Because that's why we have the cross of Jesus. See, for Jesus, his view of justice as being a way to bring life to the broken and restoration to the sinner's is why he used the cross in the way that he did as a way to get us our life restored to him through his experience of justice on our behalf. See, for God, justice is about a life of love and joy with our neighbors and with God and how to restore it in a fallen world. I like what one Christian scholar has said. 
Uh, I think this is a great quote. This is a good one for Valentine's Day, too. The first part's about Valentine's Day. The second part's about justice. Tenderness, he said, is the name for love in private. Justice is the name for love in public. I think that's a brilliant quote. Or you could put it the way that Chuck Colson did, uh, that great servant of God who started Prison Fellowship Ministries. He talked about how justice is about restoration in the Bible. How justice is about the restoring of human community and the, and the bringing to reconciliation of those who have been broken. Or you could just put it this way, justice, righteousness, a flourishing life of peace is part of what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love your neighbor if you do not practice justice, I think is pretty clear at this particular point. And that's why, moving to our second point quickly, Jesus wants us to pray for justice continually, persistently, regularly, with hope. And so let's quickly compare the judge in Jesus' story to God, as Jesus calls us to do. So in the story, we're told in verse 2 that the judge neither feared God nor respected man. So to not fear God, kids, means that a person doesn't care what God thinks about their actions. He doesn't care how God calls them to act. He doesn't care what God might do in response to his actions. So the judge doesn't care at all about Jesus' concept of justice in the Bible or the kind of justice God has called him to practice. And he's not afraid of God getting involved to make sure that he gives justice. So, Psalm 14, he's a fool. The fool says in his heart there is no God. But not only that, Jesus says this judge doesn't respect man. Now that word for respect is actually incredibly interesting. Uh, it doesn't mean what we mean by respect, which means you think highly of someone. When we talk about respect, we mean I think highly of this person. I respect them. The word for respect just means to care if someone is alive or dead. Really, it describes kind of the baseline of human compassion, where maybe you hate everything about the other person, but I guess I don't want them to die. That's what that particular word means. So when Jesus says that this judge doesn't respect man, what he means is, and I think a better translation is, he doesn't care about human life at all. People are disposable to this judge. So this judge is not interested in righteousness at all in any biblical sense, is he? He isn't seeking the world that the Messiah is seeking, where everyone is under their vine and fig tree and peace. Uh, he isn't seeking a, the Messiah's kingdom of a peaceful, joyful, fulfilling life. He isn't interested in repentance. He's not interested in reconciliation and, and bringing this widow and her adversary back together in, in some way, if he can, in love and restoration. Instead, he's clearly only interested in what he can get from others. Things like money, influence and access to power you know the usual kinds of things that judges can be bribed with in our day and could be bribed with in jesus's day and you know what if he can't give me these things if i can't get money power and access then you know death would be better for them i mean if you can't help me out could you at least go die and get out of my way that'd be useful that's the kind of person this judge is beloved jesus wants us to know that god is not at all like that judge. Jesus, God, he cares if you live because he gave you life and he sustains your life. 
God cares if you've been disenfranchised and abused by the justice system in some way. Uh, God cares if you're vulnerable and are outside of society. God cares if you're suffering because you have been you know, offended or mistreated or given an injustice by someone. God cares if you've been robbed and cheated and wounded. God cares if you are the robber and the cheater and the wounder. And God views justice as a way to restore what has been lost in those relationships and to repair what has been broken through the gospel of Jesus. See, it's one important way that neighbor love is restored, that it's repaired, and that it's strengthened. And if that's the case, why would we not persistently pray for justice, especially when Jesus is not this unjust judge? He's instead the judged Savior who restored love by being justly judged in our place so that we could be reconciled to God who does justice from heaven always. I cannot repeat that, but you can listen to it again if you want that sentence on the podcast. Um, but that brings us to our third and, and our almost final point, which is ourselves in comparison to this widow. So in the story, this widow doesn't have money, power, and access, but what she does have is a deep, passionate desire for justice. And so she pesters this judge day in and day out, over and over and over again, until he gets so worn down that he says, basically, I know I don't care what God says. I know I don't care if people live or die, but you know what? I care about me, and uh, I don't want to die from being pestered to death. So fine, like, here's your justice. Leave me alone. There's some really great humor in that. I think that's really great. Uh, And I'm going to try not to do what all pastors do and suck the humor out of this passage by explaining a little bit more. So I'll do my best to not do that. I just want us, though, to notice the kind of person that Jesus makes this widow out to be, the kind of person that produces this humorous situation in a broken world. First, notice this widow refuses to be resigned to injustice. Beloved, we live in a fallen world. Jesus lived in our fallen world. Widows in Jesus' day would have been treated unjustly just like they are in our day. Not everyone, not all the time, but it happens. And we're not surprised when it happens. And it's very common for those who have been treated unjustly over and over and over again to simply resign themselves to a broken life and to say, okay, I guess I just get taken advantage of and then I die. And they stop hoping for justice. They stop pursuing justice in the name of Jesus and praying for justice. They just resign themselves to injustice and with it, they stop believing, I think this is also important to say, when that happens, they also stop believing that people can actually change and start practicing justice. When you resign yourself to injustice, you're not only saying nothing can change about my life, but nothing can change about the life of the person committing the injustice. That does not sound like the gospel to me. But not the widow in the story. She's the example Jesus calls us to follow. Because Jesus is alive, he's in the world, and he brings change. Related to that, notice that this widow also doesn't become desensitized to injustice. So kids, here's the difference between resigning and desensitizing. Resigning is saying, 
things will never change. Desensitizing is saying uh, nothing needs to change. Resigning says hope, hope is useless. Desensitizing says hope is needless. Because what's really the problem? My friends, as those who live in the world with lots of injustice, of all different kinds and stripes, with lots of vulnerable people, broken relationships, people who are wounded, unjust judges, it's easy just to stop noticing it. Because noticing injustice is hard. It's, it's kind of like a cut. When you look at a cut on your arm, it hurts. But when you stop looking at it, it feels better. Uh, and eventually, you're just desensitized completely to the pain. We can do the same thing with injustice. But again, not this widow. She sees the injustice in her own life. She probably sees it in the lives of the other people this unjust judge is uh, not treating well. And she longs for justice, and she calls for justice. And so she seeks it out day after day after day until she gets it. See, this is the kind of perspective that Jesus wants us to have. Because this is the kind of kingdom that the Messiah is coming to build. Justice matters to God. He sees justice when it's practiced, and he sees injustice when it's practiced. And he steps into right wrongs, and he steps into blessed righteousness. It matters to him. It should matter to us. And that brings us then to our final point. So Jesus calls us to pray for justice like the widow does. He calls us to see injustice and to take it to our Heavenly Father and to ask Him to act. To ask Him to restore relationships, to bring human flourishing, to bring peace and war. That's another part of biblical justice, as Micah 4 shows us. Now the way Jesus ends this prayer, though, is very interesting, isn't it? It kind of comes out of the blue. Uh, First in verse 7, I should say this. There's a translation issue. Our translators have it, <clears throat> have it, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Now that makes it sound like God is here giving justice only to his elect. But that is not what the text says. What the text says is, and will not God practice justice? Will not God do justice, Micah 6 verse 8, on behalf of his elect? In other words, will not God do justice in the world if we, his people, ask him to? So yes, Jesus will give us justice. But if we ask God to give justice to our neighbor, to provide reconciliation, peace, housing, job, a job, repentance, whatever it is, Jesus says, God will answer that prayer. In other words, Jesus is calling us to see injustice in the world, like the widow, he calls us to see injustice in our own lives, but also like our Savior, he calls us to see injustice in other people's lives and to pray for justice and to pray for justice for us and to pray for justice for them, to pray that God would work for their good in the world today, right now, over and over and over again with hope. And then to watch Jesus answer that prayer with speed, with haste, like a sprinter, and then to thank God, and then to see it again, and to pray again, and to thank God, and to see it again, and to pray again. You see, Jesus is creating here a virtuous cycle where we willingly see brokenness, vulnerability, homelessness, crime, wounding, alienation, and where we cry out to Jesus for justice, for healing, reconciliation, restoration, and life. And then where we watch for Jesus to do the justice that we pray for, 
uh, which sometimes takes time. Uh, the Lord's timing is not our timing. Uh, that's why I think Jesus calls us to not give up hope in this praying. But he says that he will answer his people's prayers for justice. And if we're praying for it, we'll see it. And then we'll thank him. And then we'll pray again. Uh, beloved, that kind of prayer life cannot help but have an effect on our hearts. It cannot help but shape us into a people who love our neighbors as ourselves. And it cannot help but change the way we act. And that brings me now to the way Jesus ends this prayer kind of so suddenly. He ends with a question. Nevertheless, will the Son of Man, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? In Luke's gospel, faith is usually active. It's trust in action. And so what this means, at minimum, is Jesus is raising the question, will I find my people, will he find us here at Grace, praying persistently for justice? Will he find us praying in the hope that God wants and works for human wholeness and restoration in the world through the gospel of his Son? That's what this means, at minimum. What it means at maximum, I believe, is will I find my people not only praying persistently for justice, but practicing justice along with their prayers? So through this practice of persistent prayer for justice, will my people then act in the faith that I am with them when they seek restoration of what was lost, when they desire redemptive punishment, and when they seek the restoration of outcasts, from human society and the making whole of those who have suffered loss, like all of that. In other words, Jesus is asking, will I find my people not only praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, but trying to do that will and trying to build that kingdom up by faith in their daily life, individually and together. My friends, this is one of the most challenging passages on prayer that I reflected on last year, but honestly, it's, it's been one of the most rewarding. Uh, because just, just like learning to give thanks has helped me grow in humility and see Jesus more clearly, so is praying for justice helped me grow in compassion and to see Jesus more clearly at work in the lives of others as he works for the goal of justice in my life, in the lives of my neighbors, and as I've seen in the lives of all of you. So I hope you'll join me in taking our Lord's words here very seriously, that you will join me in praying with persistent hope for God to bring his redemptive, restorative, mercy-filled justice to us and to our neighbors so that we can learn to see that Jesus is at work in the world and have this virtuous cycle shape our hearts so that we can better learn to love our neighbors as ourselves the way that Jesus does. So that if Jesus comes back now, tomorrow, three weeks from now, the answer to his question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He'll be able to look at our congregation and say yes and rejoice in our faithfulness to him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we want to follow our Lord's command and uh, pray for justice persistently without losing hope. So, Father, please help us to see injustice and to pray to you to bring justice in our lives, in the lives of our neighbors, by restoring relationships and righting wrongs and 
bring fullness to human life through the gospel of your Son. And Father, as we pray for these things, we ask that you would use our prayers to form our hearts and our actions so that we would love justice and do justice and so walk humbly with our God always. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.